1: Welcome to the show. It's the Monday edition. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or questions about something going on in your life. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you live outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. 5757 You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send the questions to us that way. If you're driving in your car, just use the free KSLR mobile app, and you'll be able to Use your hands-free features on your phone. Um, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is three four zero ninety five eighty five. Hope you had a great weekend. I want to thank everybody for their prayers for our women's retreat. Um, tons and tons of ladies were there. It was uh, a great result. A bunch of ladies got saved before I walked out of the building. I mean, just barely got in the building yesterday. And uh, just before first service started and two ladies sort of grabbed me and said, Pastor On, thank you so much. And they thanked me. I didn't do anything. But I got saved at the retreat. And so just, you know, that's just why we do things. So uh, thank you all for your prayers. Uh, by the way, tonight, ladies, um, they will be doing instead of our normal Monday night study, in fact, tonight and next Monday night, uh, we always dedicate these two weeks to sort of a retreat reflection. Um, ladies are going to share what God spoke to their hearts, and there's always not enough time to do them in one, so we're going to do it for a couple of Mondays. Um, and even if you weren't able to go, you can kind of see what happens in women's retreat. You can sort of live vicariously through the experiences of the ladies uh, who were able to go. And uh, we would love to have you join us. That's at 7 o'clock. Child care, of course, is provided. At the same time, our men's Bible study with Pastor Ken and our high school and junior high school studies uh, all start at 7. We worship together and then separate into different rooms. Uh, Ladies, you can watch, if you can't get here, uh, live stream at CalvarySA.com. But again, thank you for your prayers. It really was a great retreat and uh, Lots of ladies were smiling yesterday. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. And um, we've got the caller waiting. Let's go to him first, John from Siblo on line one. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have two questions today. The first one, as you know, many times the, the Bible talks about the 12 tribes and I'm just wondering, when it talks about the 12 tribes, is it always including uh, the tribe of Levi, except when they're dividing the land? Is that the only time the 12 tribes include the two sons of Joseph? And my second question is, after the millennium, when the new earth is created, where will we live will we live in new jerusalem or the new earth that's created where all the ocean is gone and it's brand new earth and are there any children in that in the new earth and those are my very questions cool. thank you john appreciate it very very much um the second question is really interesting to me so i'll, I'll start with the first one cuz it's easy and then we'll we'll uh, we'll get to the other one um John, the 12 tribes, you remember the Levites, God was their portion, so they were not to own land. Now, we also know that that sinful man uh, perverted that. You remember when, um, uh, early in the book of Acts, when uh, Barnabas, uh, a Levite, came in and, and dumped all his uh, money. He sold some land that he owned, and and he dumped it at the feet of the apostles and used this for God's glory. Um, that was sort of a New Testament response to to the gift of God, the grace of God, and the forgiveness of sins. But it was because the Levites were not to own land. And, um, you know, we might think, well, that's not fair. But remember, their portion was God himself. So that is um, uh, the, the best of all rewards. Um, regarding the second question, um, the kids is really interesting because we don't know the answer to that for sure. Now, in the millennial reign, of course... There will be children being born in a in a redeemed, um, not perfect but near perfect earth, and and they will be thriving. There will be multiplied billions of people who were born during that thousand-year reign on earth. But but once the millennium is over and Satan is judged and the great white throne judgment has taken place, then it's going to be necessary for everything to be perfect you you can't make something imperfect perfect so to make everything perfect God is going to destroy this earth and he's going to create um, a completely new earth and where we will live uh, I imagine it will be sort of commensurate with our responsibilities um, during the millennium you know were we faithful um, uh, during the millennium John you and I because we'll we'll rule and reign with Christ, we'll have a, an area of responsibility, and and again, specifically what that ministry will look like, we don't know, um, but in the new heaven and the new earth, we're not told where, but, but certainly we'll be placed somewhere. Now, I talked about this yesterday in our Bible study as we closed out the Gospel of Luke. Um, We will be able in the millennium, those of us in glorified resurrected bodies, to go instantly into the presence of the Lord. He'll be in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning on the throne of David. But we could be, like I could be responsible for part of San Antonio and, and um, you know, I, I want to be with Jesus and suddenly I'll be there. His body materialized through a wall and, and, and said, peace be with you to his, to his followers. Uh, and we can do that now. In the on the new earth, we'll all have glorified resurrected bodies, and we don't know regarding the kids, John, what that means in terms of their age. Now, uh, we assume that when children go to be with Jesus, they're no the longer children. Adam was not created in his perfect state as a child; he didn't grow. And what we do know, what we do know for sure, is that we will be in a perfect state, and whatever that is, uh, in terms of age and physical maturity, um, that's what we will be in our glorified resurrected body. So I'm assuming, John, and and there's no answer to this that that is satisfactory, but I'm assuming that, that kids who are alive at the end of the millennium, and they will go into the new heavens and the new earth... Um, uh, I assume that they will be at whatever the, the state of perfection is. Whatever God deems is the perfect age and the perfect uh, physical status, that's what they will be. So kids will go in, but I doubt that they will stay kids. So I hope that helps, John. That's the best we can do is guess on things like that when we're not given the um, all the details. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. You have always asked such. Thoughtful question. Um, one, one thing, I, I just mentioned that we finished the, the Gospel of Luke. We were in Luke for 22 and a half months. Um, I just found out yesterday, before we started, that yesterday was our 87th and last Bible study. And I always get so excited. There's a such a sense of accomplishment You know, uh, when Paul told Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, I take that really seriously, and I'm able to thank God. When I finish reading that last word uh, at the beginning of the study, I can say, Lord, thank you that as a church family we have once again gone through an entire book. And this is our second time through Luke. So, uh, I mean, it's just really, really um, has been a series of encouraging Bible studies all the way through the Gospel of Luke. It is, in my mind, the, the most fun of the Gospels to teach. Thank you, John. I appreciate the question very, very much. Here is a question from our email inbox from Louie. Uh, he said, I heard you last week explaining how you speak to a dying people or believer um when what they were going to experience an angel taking his hand and being escorted into the presence of god i have several friends who doubt that heaven exists and or that they can have a life everlasting with god how can i explain it to them and then he says this i love your show and thank you in advance for your time and help god bless y'all he's from texas you can tell Louis, thank you very much i appreciate that you take the time to tune in and listen um, I think I appreciate all of you who listen far more than you appreciate uh, what we do here. So thank you very, very much. Um, I, I said, Louie, last week that that when somebody is dying, that's what they need to know. It's what they want to know. You know, A lot of times the family or people around will say, don't talk about it. But, but it's what they want to talk about. So I want them to be prepared. Um, regarding your friends who doubt that heaven exists, or that they can have a life everlasting with God. And how you can explain it to them. You, you know, I don't know that you can explain it. I think, Louie, what we need to do with those friends is share the gospel with them. Share with them that their sin has separated them from God. That's why they feel the way they do. That's why they have the doubts that they have. But... God has planned for that, explained to them what Adam's sin was, explained to them uh, people like the Apostle Paul, who, who he, he calls himself the, the worst of all sinners. And yet God had a plan to cover those sins. And in the same way, whatever sins have separated them from God, uh, God has a plan. Uh, ask Jesus into your heart, surrender your, whole, your life to him, and then he's covered your sins, and then you can have the assurance that you can have everlasting life with God. And then, Louis, it's up to the Holy Spirit. You'll pray, but it's up to the Holy Spirit. A lot of times I've had people that I care for who, who, whose doubts were really an excuse not to surrender, really an excuse not to believe. And we can't get too frustrated by that. We simply need to explain to them that the only way you can come to Christ is if the Holy Spirit moves on your heart, makes you aware of sin. Jesus, remember, when he talked about the Holy Spirit to his disciples just before he was going to die, he said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And if your friends have any background at all in the faith, you can tell them that... The first thing that has to happen is you've got to realize that you need to be saved. Too many of us think we're okay the way we are, and when you think you're okay the way you are, well then, you're going to have doubts that you can have everlasting life with God, because until you give your life to Him, you're not going to have everlasting life. You're going to be separated from Him for eternity, and we call that hell. But He's also then going to convict the world of righteousness, the righteousness that belongs to Jesus freely given to us. I've had people who have been guilty of terrible sins, Louis, and uh, the answer um, that they wanted was, how do I know I can be forgiven? Well, Well, Jesus died for all sins, and when you ask him into your heart, you then positionally become perfect, and God sees you as though you're perfect, and your place in heaven is secure. And then it says he's going to convict the world of judgment. And we have to be loving and honest with our friends and tell them, look, if you don't accept the righteousness offered by Christ, then the only thing left for you to be ex- to, to accept is the judgment that is going to come your way, and that judgment is going to be eternal. And once you've explained that, then you've got to let him know. You have to make the choice. And whatever choice you make, God will honor. If you make a choice to to surrender your life, he will honor it. He'll make you part of the family and your insecurity issues will go away. But if you make the choice to reject God, then you can be certain that you will spend eternity separated from him. But, Louis, you can't help them. They've got to make that choice themselves and only the Holy Spirit will move on their heart. As I said, Louis. The the biggest problem is normally that people think they don't need to be saved. I have one unsaved son, and he's the nicest man in the world. He's forty five years old, but he's 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 the nicest man in the world. Um, he, he's just one of those guys everybody loves and everybody wants to be like. But he doesn't know Jesus yet. I say yet because we never stop praying. You see, as nice as he is, you can't be nice enough. You can't be good enough or do enough good to get to heaven on your own. So, Louie, thank you for the kind words and thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Jeff. He says, I feel like the enemy is trying to trap me and make me fall. Please pray, but what can I do? Um, Jeff, the answer is always the same in in questions like this. There's nothing you can do except be with Jesus. You see, you're no match for the devil. The devil is no match for Jesus. So you tuck in behind Jesus and let him fight the battle. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And when you're abiding in Jesus, the enemy's not going to find a way to trap you. He can't make you fall. Jesus said that you will stand. So that's what you got to do. you got to be with Jesus. You know, Jeff, sometimes we act like we don't have a choice in the matter of what happens to us. Um, The enemy does not have to be given an opening to pound you, and that's what he's doing. So just stay out of the trap. You know, Jeff, I don't know if this will help, but my church has heard this story so many times that um, I don't share it often any longer, but um, I have a big brother. Hebrews says Jesus is our elder brother, our big brother. And my big brother, he's three years older than I was, and when he was 11 years old, he was the same size that he is today. He was six foot tall, big guy, 11 years old. Now, I never got the size that he has. But here's the advantage advantage of having a big, big brother. As mouthy as I wanted to get with people, I just let everybody know, man, if you're gonna mess with me, you gotta go through my big brother. And the devil is like that. He, He can't stand against Jesus. So just you let Jesus do the fighting for you. Your responsibility is to flee from sin, run to Jesus, and he will protect you. And that's all we have to remember Jeff, it's really that simple. Uh, practically, I don't know um, um, how much help it will be, but you can read Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. Paul talks about the spiritual armor that we all need every day. Um, but uh, that's why I like to make it simple, just be with Jesus and you won't have to worry about the enemy I hardly ever think about the devil and if I'm under spiritual attack and I notice then I want to be sure that I haven't given the devil an opening Um, I want to be sure that Jesus is the one fighting on my behalf and I'm not trying to fight him in my own strength Jeff I'm sure lots of people be praying for you let's go to Ray calling on line one from San Antonio Ray thanks for calling you're on the air
0: Hi, Pastor Ron. I just have a quickie for you. I uh, wonder if you are familiar with Robert M. West. He had a book called How to Study the Bible, and I'll hang up and listen.
1: Okay, Ray, I, I'm not um, familiar with, with him. Um, we're looking him up as you listen, but... Uh, I'll probably be able to give you a little bit of a different, a uh, little bit deeper answer uh, after the break. I'll have a chance to look at him and see who he is, what his credentials are, and who he's from. Um, there's lots of great resources in there, how to study the Bible. But let me just make a suggestion, Ray, to you and to everybody else. There's three methods of Bible study that all of us ought have going all the time. The first is just reading sort of taking an overview of the Bible. we have got to read the Bible, got to turn the pages. Get familiar with the story. Get familiar with some of the details. Just read. And uh, when I was a new believer, Ray, I found the easiest way for me to do that was I just determined I was going to read ten chapters every day. Um, I would read five in the Old Testament, five in the New Testament. Now, some of our New Testament books, of course, don't have five chapters, so I would I would end when we did but it was just a reading. And I, I just wanted so desperately to turn the pages. I wanted to get familiar and comfortable with the Bible, the Word of God. The second way that we ought to study, and and reading ten chapters doesn't take that long, the second way, spend some time and and sort of take smaller chunks of scripture. Now always read systematically. By that I mean when you are in um, for example, the book of Ephesians. Um, you're you're going to stay in Ephesians until you finish the book. But the first day, you might take just um, um, the first opening paragraph or the first statement of the book, and and sort of read it uh, in a meditative state. And by that, I don't mean you lose your mind and just lose yourself, but you're waiting to hear the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Take it slowly. Chew on it. Um, and when, when, you, when you read something, you think maybe the Spirit of God is trying to tell you something. Sort of keep your Bible open on your lap. But, but close your eyes and say, Lord, what do you want to say to me in this? When you come across some difficult passages, then um, you read it two, three, four times and, and, and say, okay, Lord, help me understand it. And he'll do that. And then while you're reading your Bible, um, you'll be able to, to to get some of the questions answered that you have. And remember, we, we want to know him better. And the way to do that is let him speak to your heart. The third way, and this is for serious students, but I think everybody should be a serious student. student. We're told to study to show ourselves approved, work men, work women, rightly dividing the word of God. And that's inductive Bible study. And basically it's, It's taking the Bible verse by verse, observing what it says, interpreting what it means, and then figuring out how we can apply that in our lives that day. And you use no other resources, Ray, with inductive Bible so you just let the Bible interpret the Bible. And there will be times when you'll read something, and there will be an Old Testament reference, you can go back and read that. And the Lord will begin really, really speaking to your heart and changing your life. It really is uh, a wonderful process. So Robert West, will be sort of checking him out at the break. And uh, if there's anything of note, Ray, I will let you know. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Anonymous. He or she says, I feel like God wants to use me, but that my sins disqualify me. What would you say? Well, Anonymous, I don't know what your sins are. Uh, I don't know the circumstances around them. But the great thing about serving God is that grace is new every day. There's a grace that saves, for sure. But there's also a grace that lives. First John 1, 9 says, um, If I confess my sins, I don't try to hide them. I don't try to pretend like, well, maybe it's not a sin. Maybe... You just, just confess, Lord. What I did was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it anymore. If you'll do that, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. So, for you, Anonymous, deal with your current sins first. Your past sins are forgiven and forgotten, but deal with your current sins so that your fellowship with God is open and available. And, and when that happens, then, then just believe what the Bible says. You know, Romans 8, chapter 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you think your sins disqualify you from serving God, you're under the condemnation of the enemy. Again, if you've got current sin in your life, you need to stop sinning. Make no mistake. But if you're talking about just past sins... Well, those sins are already covered by the blood. What I suspect is the problem here, Anonymous, is that you've got current sins that are inhibiting your ability to hear from the Lord, inhibiting your ability to to walk by faith. Because we take some perverse delight in feeling really, really bad when we mess up, the enemy's always going to be there to pound. If you feel like God wants to use you, I can tell you that's the Spirit of God. He does. So if you are still involved in willful sin, stop it. Tell God you're sorry. And then say, okay, Lord, I, I want to be used. How can I be used? And I promise you, He'll do it. Thank you for the question. We've got 30 minutes to go in the Monday program. 340-9585 or toll free 877 877- 630 KSLR. It's a word to stand them for life. I'll be back in two minutes.
0: If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of our show, 340-9585. Ray, we did sort of a quick dive on Robert West and his... Uh, the um, background's pretty sketchy and by, by that I mean there just isn't much there. He've um, been teaching the Bible for 30 years and uh, there's no church affiliation uh, that we were able to find quickly. Um, um, no idea where he's coming from doctrinally. Um, I, I would be slow to embrace somebody who didn't let me know where they were coming from. So I think it's really important. Now, you've got good discernment, Ray. So if, uh, in fact, you can go through it and you can figure out whether or not it it's, sounds right to you or feels right to you. But um, it's not rocket science. Just open your Bible and read it. Thank you, Ray. He's not listed as a pastor. So no church affiliation that we can understand. Here is a question from Greg, he says, Pastor Ron, I don't understand why Jesus said he came only to Israel and not for other people. Well, Greg, we've got to make a mission distinction here, because Jesus came for the world, we know that, but when he came the first time, he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was the Jewish Messiah. He was the one who would fulfill all of the prophecies, the one that they were looking for and ostensibly were putting their hopes in. That was his mission the first time. The next time when he comes, and, and, and if you've been listening, Greg, you know I believe that that's coming soon then he's going to come for the whole world, for everyone. And he's going to set things right in this beautiful creation. I'm getting a new appreciation for it as we are studying through Genesis, just beginning our study in Genesis uh, on Wednesday nights. And, and, you know, we mess things up. So when he comes again, he is going to destroy all of his enemies, Jew and Gentile, and then he's going to make things right I mean he made everything perfect we ruined it so the next time he's going to come for everyone but make no mistake when you're reading the gospel accounts you've got to read them through a Jewish lens you've got to understand I I remember the Syrophoenician woman who said uh, um, um, to Jesus she wanted to to get the crumbs and he said "But, but I haven't come to the Gentiles I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and then she looked at him and I think with a smile on her face and certainly would have put a smile on Jesus' face she said even the dogs they called Jews called Gentiles dogs even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table and Jesus must have looked at her like you get it but make no mistake his first time He came just for the Jews. That was his mission, and believe me, Jesus stayed on mission. So, Greg, understand the Gospel accounts. Let me recommend something for you. It's it's not easy reading, but it is a book that everyone should have when they study the Gospel. It's called The Life and Times of the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. It is available for free online because he's been dead way more than 100 years. Um, But um, uh, it's a book I think everybody ought to have in the library. And it will really give you that Jewish perspective uh, on Jesus' mission trip from heaven to earth the first time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Here is a question from Stephanie. Um, I've been reading about the new perspective on Paul's writings. Um, perspectives like he was still learning new things, so his letters don't carry the same authority as Jesus is teaching. Well, Stephanie, whatever you're reading, stop reading it because that is not a new. It's not a new perspective, but it's certainly not a, 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 a inspired perspective on Paul's writings. We have to remember the nature of our Bible, Stephanie um god breathes and man's hand writes that's how inspired they are so when paul was writing his letters he was writing for god god writing through him and that makes every word of paul's epistles just as authoritative as all of the things that you have in red letters in the gospel accounts So that's simply not a solid or a sound approach to reading first or understanding the Bible. Now, Stephanie, I think we always have to think about motive. Whenever you're reading about those kind of perspectives, it's usually going to come from people who don't like what Paul was writing. Um, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that are trying to rewrite that or present it in a light that, that removes the authority. Um, Paul's writings against homosexuality. Um, well, Paul, you know, he was a new believer, or he was working out his faith. Jesus never said those things, so we don't have to listen to those things that Paul wrote. What we need to remember is that every word, mystical Jews believe that even the space between the words were inspired by God. So, Stephanie, I don't get that mystical, but every word is written by God, and whatever Paul or Peter or James or, or any of the others wrote John in the book of Revelation, whatever they wrote uh, carries as much weight as though it was Jesus standing there physically saying the same thing. Again, that's not a new perspective, but it is a horribly heretical perspective and and I would suggest, Stephanie, that you stop reading whatever it is that you're reading. There's lots of great books that, that you can read. If you are a reader, if you want to study, that one is not a good one. You know, we have been, Stephanie, tearing out pages of our Bible from the very minute we had God's Word. Well, I like this part, but I don't like this. We just tear it out. I always threatened, I would never do this because... I wouldn't want to set this example, but I've always threatened to, in a Bible study, we get to one of those really difficult passages, one of those things that we don't like. Flee from sexual immorality. Well, you know, I don't think it's really a sin, so I'm going to tear this page out. And I always thought that it would be interesting to see the reaction of people if I just took a Bible and tore the page out and said, you know, I don't think this is for us today. That's the perspective that you're reading, so being very careful. Here is a challenging question from a young Joseph. Joseph says, I'm 17, and people my age aren't hung up on nudity the way older people were. Why is it wrong to send nude selfies to the opposite sex? Joseph, the answer to your question is always the same it's wrong because God said it's wrong. And God doesn't have to explain to you why it's wrong. God says it's wrong. And so it is. Now you can violate it. God's given you the free will to do that. But I'd like you to be just a little bit more mature and reasonably think about what you just said. You're not hung up on nudity, so why is it wrong to send pictures of yourself to the opposite sex or someone of the opposite sex send pictures to you? You know, just if we know what private parts are. and I would encourage you to find out who Jesus is. I know people whose lives have been devastated by impulsive, stupid mistakes that they made with pictures online. We've seen well-known public figures, politicians, athletes, we've seen them their lives devastated when those pictures leaked. We see still women who are often devastated because the man they thought they loved has put pictures of their sex activity, sexual activity, online because there was a split up or an argument or something. Joseph, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. And until you find him, you're probably not going to change the way you think. You know, I'm 100 years old, Joseph, compared to you. And I grew up in the time during the hippie movement. Look it up. And we believed that if it feels good, do it. Make love, not war. That was our our mantra. We thought our parents were so out of it. And we did drugs. I didn't do drugs personally, but as a generation we did drugs. And a lot of us are still paying the consequences for those terrible decisions. There's some things that are supposed to be private. I don't think Paula will mind me saying this, but one of the things that we enjoy the most about our relationship is the fact that that our bodies belong to each other and Paula will often say this is mine doesn't belong to anybody else and I'll reiterate the same thing and that makes it special and it ceases to be special when you're splashing it all over social media I mean it just common sense, but it's also sin. So Joseph, Jesus says it's wrong. You got to decide if you want to live in heaven or hell. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Sarah, Pastor Ron. I've noticed that prayer meetings aren't emphasized in churches. And whenever prayer is called, the attendance isn't very good. Can I have your thoughts, please? Sarah, it's it's been said that the time for a corporate prayer is the least attended event in the church all over the world. And and the reason is because we really don't believe in prayer. We don't believe that God answers prayers. And sadly, we're much worse because of it Um, we live in a busy society we make time to get to church we fill up the rest of our time with so much activity that we don't have time I mean I can come up with all kinds of excuses but the, the real reason is we just don't believe in the power of prayer so those are my thoughts. Having said that, Sarah, we have a Saturday morning corporate prayer meeting here at Calvary Chapel, 930 in the morning. Um, if I'm in town, um, Paul and I are here. If we're, if we're out of town, then Pastor Ken and his wife May takes over. Um, but, but it's something I don't miss if I'm in town. And here's what's happened. One, the the number of people that come has grown. But we've, we've formed such a cohesive group. You really get to know people when you pray with them. You get to know their heart when you hear their prayers. And our group has grown. I know I'm being prayed for. They know they're being prayed for. Uh, we, We know our church is being prayed for, and not just on the Saturday meeting, but we know these people are praying continually. Our needs are being prayed for. The people in the church who are hurting, they're being prayed for. And we're seeing so many answers to prayer. I tell the people in the church, if you're not coming, you're the one that's missing out. We want God to do stuff, but we won't invest an hour. It's 9.30 to 10.30. And I can't imagine a better way to start Saturday. And I don't care how tired I am. Um, You know, we have a service Friday night. I'm going to do three services on Sunday morning. I don't care how tired I am. Prayer is always a source of refreshment. And the people that are regulars who are at that prayer meeting, and I I think we probably have around 30 or 35 people, the typical attendance on a prayer Saturday. Um, these are people that I've grown so fond of and so connected to. And it's because we just get to hear their hearts and they get to hear our hearts. And so we, we do that and it has been an unbelievable blessing for every one of us who are there personally, but make no mistake, it's been a blessing for the church at large as well. Uh, even those who don't come, because God is really hearing and answering our prayers. We're so grateful when we get there. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, that you wanted to be here more than we wanted to be here. You were more eager than we were. And it's just one of those things that people are missing out on, and you know, we can try to make people feel really guilty, but the truth is, um, if they really believed in prayer, then they would be there. So Sarah, um, you go to prayer and if you're the only one there then you can rejoice that you're getting blessed and everybody else is missing out and when that happens you can simply say Jesus, thank you for taking the time with me. People are reluctant to come to corporate prayer. It's because they don't pray much privately either. And always, Sarah, when I hear somebody pray, when they open their mouth for the first time in a prayer meeting, I can tell whether they pray very often or not. I can tell how personally they know the Lord. And the great thing about it, when they keep coming, and as they participate in the prayer, you can hear the relationship get richer and deeper. So, Sarah, you pray. Let God bless you. And then he will use you to be a blessing to others. Let's go to Cindy calling on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. The, um, the retreat was, was so wonderful. I'm just blown away at how good it was. Um, Mercedes, <laughs> who is our guest speaker, talked about the woman who touched Jesus's uh, the hem of his garment and you know how she was healed and I've been so fascinated with that ever since then and I wondered if you'd expound a little bit on that I know we studied it um kind of a long time ago in Luke I think was it in Luke mm-hmm. I can't remember now but but I just I, I'm just really fascinated by it and if you talk a little bit about it I'd really appreciate it and I'll listen Thank offline you. Thank you, I can, uh-huh. Cindy. I said I can. Thank you for going to the retreat and and being blessed. Oh, I really got blessed. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I'll listen. Bye. Okay, uh, just a reminder, Cindy gave me the opportunity. Um, our women's Bible study tonight is a retreat reflection time. We're going to hear some of the ladies who just share the life-changing moments, the life-changing event that this was for them. So you don't want to miss out on that. It's at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, Cindy, as you know, because you've heard me teach it, this is a story that I absolutely love. This was a woman who had enormous courage. Um, The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Uh, She was a woman whose life would have been um, um, a disaster in the sense that she was cut off um, religiously. Um, She certainly couldn't go to the synagogue or go to temple, Um, she couldn't be in uh, even the outer courts because uh, with the issue of blood she was unclean, and should she by chance touch um, uh, somebody and render them unclean, she could actually have been stoned to death, this is a woman who spent all of her money, all of it. Bible said she didn't have anything left on doctors trying to be cared for. Evidently, that means that at one time she was a woman of, of considerable means. Um, but doctors couldn't help. And because she was a Jew, a dutiful Jew, she knew who Jesus was and she had this plan. If I can just get to him, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, if I can somehow make contact with him, then I know he'll heal me. And remember the story, they they were surrounded by so many people. And and right in the middle of it, he stopped, he said, somebody touched me. And his disciples said, well, everybody's touching you. I mean, look at this crowd. He said, no, power has gone out. I love the King James, virtue has gone out from me. And so he stopped everything. Now remember, he was on the way to heal a 12-year-old girl who was possessed by demons and he stopped everything who touched me and this woman this woman though she could have been stoned for it, she confessed it was me and she explained her situation Jesus looked at her and smiled and said your faith has healed you And her whole life changed at that moment. What an amazing story that is. And this woman, she took a risk. I tell our church all the time, Cindy, that faith takes risks. She took a risk. She worked her way into a crowd that would have been furious with her if they'd known she was there in that condition. But she didn't care. She was desperate to touch Jesus. And the story for us, we all have issues. And we need to be desperate enough to touch Jesus so that he can heal our issues. I just love the story. I love the woman. So uh, I didn't know Mercedes taught on that, but God bless you. I uh, hope you are coming tonight, Cindy. i got enough time maybe for one more question. It's from Jason. Uh, why don't you use the King James Version Bible? It's the original Bible, and I think your ministry would be far more effective if you used it, Jason. Thank you for your comment. However, um, you need to be careful how you think and what you say. For you to think that the King James, the 1611 King James, is the original Bible, is just wrong. Your scholarship is really, really terrible. You need to stop reading Gail Ripplinger and, and others. Um, King James is a great Bible. I love it. I've said on this program, Jason, many, many times that um, my first Bible was a King James. Most of my Bible memorization uh, is out of the King James. Um, um, I don't know if you've heard me say this, Jason, but I'm visually impaired. And most of the time, when I am standing by the pulpit, I can't see my notes. And when I can't read the Bible verses, I automatically default to King James because that's what I've got memorized. And I don't mean to imply that I have the whole King James Bible memorized, but you get the, the point, I think. It's not the original Bible. It's a great Bible. I love it. It's colorful. The problem is it doesn't mean the same thing it meant. Our English language has changed since the 17th century, and so it just makes things difficult. It's a word-for-word translation, um, but words, language is dynamic. It changes, and so the King James is sort of antiquated. A lot of the guys that use King James, when they'll say, well, this Greek word means, and then they'll just quote what the NIV or the New King James or one of the others says. So I don't use it. I'm going to upset you, Jason. I don't think it's the best translation of the New Testament anyway. I think the 1984 NIV is. As to whether or not my ministry would be far more effective if I were to use it, well, you can be the judge of that. I I think we're doing fine. I think the Lord is blessing, but who knows? Maybe you're right and I'm wrong. The first printed Bible for the masses was the Gutenberg Bible in 1455, and again, as I said, the King James was presented, or printed rather, in 1611. So Jason, get your facts right, and you are the one missing out if you're limited to use of the King James Bible. Those who are King James only, I mean, think about this for a moment. I'm less than a minute left in the program, so I don't have time to go to any other question. Uh, It would mean, if the King James was the only authorized Bible, it would mean that no foreign language has ever had an authorized version of the Bible. It's that simple. The King James was written in English. And that's simply not true, and I think common sense tells you it's not true appreciate you tuning in today. Remember our men's and women's and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. The women will be able to be live streamed on AM, or not AM 630, but at CalvarySA.com. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.